Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's May 26 and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House-Barbie and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. Hey Matt, it's great to be back, man, even though the markets are as volatile as ever. And I believe we just hit the longest bear market fall uh, in Bitcoin history. So yeah. wild times. <laughs> yeah, I think it was it seven consecutive weeks. Uh, yeah, seven or eight consecutive weeks. Yeah. Uh, well, I can't see it getting much better in the foreseeable future. But hey, uh, the, the thing that I take solace in here is like, you know, the past bear market that we had through kind of the crypto winter of 2018 through to start of 2020. I, I would argue some of the best things that have happened to crypto of late got built during that bear market. So I'm optimistic that the same will happen again here. I completely agree. All right. So today we have got a lot. So we're going to jump uh, in pretty quickly. We're going to be covering the craziness that's happening over at FTX. Of course, it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't mention Luna and Terra. Of course, we're going to talk talk about that. Uh, OpenSea getting knocked off its top spot. And in spite of all the doom and gloom and talks of capital being pulled out of the the crypto space um there's a bunch more being put in and we'll talk a little bit more about that soon and if that didn't get you excited gamestop is here to save (laughs) all of us so we'll jump right into that with our first story of the day right after this if you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. So the first story of the day is all centered around FTX, the crypto exchange led by Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF as he's most affectionately known. He's the CEO of FTX. And... The headline here is FTX is getting into stock trading. And this is kind of interesting. I was listening to uh, a few different interviews around this uh, this move. And it seems largely that SPF is, is just focused around, you know, supporting the needs of all kinds of investors, not just crypto. And he wants to grow the FTX empire. It's been one of probably the biggest success stories in the crypto space of recent times um, since Coinbase's emergence, to be honest. Um, but but what I think is interesting here, so FTX is going to soon allow for traditional stock trading alongside its crypto offerings. But the thing that I think is the kind of craziest piece is this came probably a week after um, Sam Bankman-Fried had acquired a 7.6% stake in Robinhood, um, which I'm sure they were delighted about. And that 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 stake makes him Robinhood's third largest shareholder, obviously with an enormous focus that company has on retail traders, allowing both 
crypto and stock trading. Um, but yeah, he has 56 million shares in Robinhood worth probably around about 500 million-ish, uh, maybe 250 by the time this goes out. Who knows? Uh, but, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> when I looked at that, my first thought was, hmm, is he just getting ready to acquire them? Um, I mean, we've seen the the move by Elon with Twitter. This seems like he's either hedging his bets that FDX will fail and he's going to get some exposure to someone, uh, a company that won't, well, arguably, uh, or he's just getting one foot in the door so that they keep optionality in place uh, for a takeover at some point. Um, his his answer when questioned around some of this, no comment, of course. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see how that plays out. But what I thought further emphasized this is that FDX have also been shopping around for brokerage startups that they can use to facilitate and speed up their move into stock trading, and um, from a number of different sources through major news outlets. It seems like FTX has approached at least three different stock trading uh, startups, and that's speculated to be Webull, Apex Clearing, and Public.com being among the companies. Still not officially confirmed, but this is what's coming from sources. So it seems like overall, FTX are going after the the retail stock trading market, which is, is an interesting move, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know that there's been a lot of speculation around a sort of Elon and Twitter copycat scenario. Uh, you'll recall, I think it was either last week or two weeks ago, we were talking about how Robinhood was actually moving into the crypto space. So you can see both of these companies sort of coming toward a middle there and then some interesting behavior <laughs> in terms of stock acquisition. So I think it's an area to, to keep an eye on. And Matt, I, I, did you see the sort of discussion that was happening around um, SBF's political donations as well. I thought that was really interesting. Very interesting. It's uh, So I think uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, he said that um, he, would, he would basically allocate as much as, well, he said he has a soft ceiling of dedicating around a billion dollars of uh, political funding. He's a Democrat. Um, and he said, basically, like his spending would likely to be on the higher end if um, Donald Trump runs again for, for president. But if, if he did spend a billion dollars or more in the 2024 election, it would actually make him the biggest ever political donor in a single election, which is pretty crazy considering, you know, He's a 30-year-old founder of a cryptocurrency exchange. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're a you're a Democrat voter, you're probably thinking, okay, that's pretty nice. Uh, you know, I being British and having lobbying just has so much more regulation around it in the UK and far less of an influence than the US. This kind of stuff, just regardless of which side this sits on for me, I I, I just don't really enjoy it. Um, but hey, you know, the, the thing I think we're going to see in 2024 is a lot more lobbying from crypto companies. I think that is going to be one of the big themes of that election, especially as regulation looms nearer and nearer. Yeah, for sure. And I believe that SBF was one of Joe Biden's largest donors, maybe even in the top three or top five. 
Um, so he has a track record of doing this. He just put $10 million into a smaller election in Oregon and lost miserably. So it's not that he's a, a tastemaker or anything like that. But Matt, um, from across the pond, I have to totally agree with you. It's a little scary uh, to see yeah. the level of money that is influencing what is supposed to be a democratic process. Yeah, I, I didn't actually know that he was one of Biden's big backers. I, it, reading some of the the news around his his moves here it, it makes it makes sense um but yeah it's going to be interesting to watch and i think it's it, almost certainly going to be a big theme in in the next election all right from sam bankman freed back over to the wonderful world of terror let's jump into our second story of the day as predicted terror backers have voted to revive luna but not UST. So you'll remember last week we covered Proposal 1623, which set out to create a new Terra chain without the algorithmic stablecoin, and it has passed. As of our reporting last week, it was somewhere around 85% of votes were in favor. That number went down. Uh, The final vote was 65% in support, 20% abstaining, and 13% no with a veto. So It was less unanimous than originally anticipated, but still passed pretty well uh, with um, a majority of support. Just a quick recap. Who knew that people wanted free money? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, there is a ton of skepticism around this. As a quick recap, the old chain that crashed is now going to be called Terra Classic, and the token will be LUNC, L-U-N-C. I don't know if that if like that was intentional or not, um, but it <laughs> or, just or sounds maybe, like maybe a... we could say lunacy. Maybe that would be uh, <laughs> no, that would be man, more. Man, that's apt. even better. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the new chain will be called Terra, and the token will be Luna. So the sort of old token name. This new chain will actually launch tomorrow on May twenty seventh, and Luna will be airdropped aco- across Luna Classic stakers. Uh, Luna Classic holders, residual UST holders, and essential app developers of Terra Classic, as we covered last week. So there's still a lot that's about to happen here. But as of this recording, Terra Classic is currently trading at, well, I think it's a thousandth of a cent or a hundredth of a cent. Yeah, um, 0.00014. It has been rallying, which is just ridiculous. But I understand it because of the fact that it's people are just waiting to get snapshotted and uh, they, they're they going to get an airdrop and they're assuming they'll pay off. What I anticipate is the mother of all dumps happening when, when this whole thing goes live, when the airdrop comes out, as soon as the, uh, the, the fork actually goes into play, Luna Classic's going to absolutely nosedive. The, the new Luna token is going to get just completely wiped out maybe a short-term pump um and yeah i just can't see any good outcome here for anyone other than do Kwon. but you know he's got his own problems he's got to face right now so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now despite all of that some pretty big crypto exchanges are going to be supporting terra 2.0 uh binance ftx the exchange we were just talking about Crypto.com, Bitfinex, and a list of others have all pledged support for Terra 2.0. Binance has actually said it's working closely with the Terra team on the recovery plan. And FTX, 
announced that it would support the new Luna airdrop and suspend Luna and UST markets. So um, there is, uh, you know, it's an interesting space to watch. I saw this really, uh, I thought, appropriate tweet from Scott Melker, the crypto trader. And he said, imagine if Enron rebranded as Enron 2.0 and then renamed their old stock Enron Classic and issued new stock in the new company to the major shareholders. That's a lot like what's happening right now. <laughs> get it get it listed on FTX's new stock trading. And yeah, sign me up. There we go. Uh, this I, I do find it kind of funny that, well, I mean, shock horror that it's going to be listed on all of these centralized exchanges where their primary method for generating revenue is on trading fees. So they're going to make an absolute killing on this buy or sell. It's 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 a win. I, do, I find it interesting with Binance in particular because CZ, uh, the uh, CEO founder, he's been very vocal in his criticisms of this move. And yep, they were an early investor. I think they invested something like 200 million. I could be wrong on that number. It was around about that uh, into Luna initially. Um, and then now they're kind of like, you know, we're working closely with them. We're going to list this. It's just a bit, I, I kind of find it a little bit disappointing, to be honest, but we'll see. I I, I just think this uh, this is not the last that we have heard of Luna. That is what is absolutely uh, for sure. Outside of that, we've got some interesting disruption coming into Open Seas territory up next. There is blood in the water, maybe, some would say, with Open Sea. And uh, that's because Magic Eden, the number one NFT marketplace on the Solana blockchain, has Claimed the, tra- uh, claimed the crown in daily trading volume as the overall number one NFT marketplace, surpassing OpenSea in the daily trading volume. Now, <clears throat> I want to explain some of the, the data here just so that we understand exactly what's uh, what's being talked about here when we talk about daily transactions. So we're, we're using data that's coming from DAP Radar and has since been confirmed with Magic Eden's uh, internal team. They've been seeing over the past couple of weeks roughly 275,000 daily transactions. This includes purchases, bids, and listings all grouped together. Those same kind of transactions right now um, with OpenSea, OpenSea gets around 50,000 per day. This is a drastic drop, I will say, um, in OpenSea's. Uh, trading volume. And I think this is largely around some of the bear market, but Solana F- NFTs have been getting a lot of attention. Um, Magic Eden then went on to confirm that the true number of actual sales, so if we remove out bids and listings in there, is around about 47,000. Um, so actually like close to just like the all transactions that are happening on OpenSea. Um, so it's a pretty significant jump. And you know the 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 uh, the main thing though that I would say to look at here is when we look at the actual number of unique users trading on NFTs on each platform, OpenSea is still by far and away the leader here. So Magic Eden has like nearly half the amount. There are about twenty four thousand traders on Magic Eden. OpenSea uh, around forty one thousand. My 
my like uneducated hypothesis here really is that what we're probably seeing on Magic Eden is you individual users are acquiring more NFTs and you could it makes sense because of the fact that they're near zero transaction fees on Solana. So even just like putting a bid and listing, it costs barely anything at all. It's like nominal, like a fraction of a cent. Whereas on OpenSea, it's like meaningful amounts of uh, like on a low end, you're going to be talking what even just like 15 bucks worth of ETH just to put like a bid and then list things like that. So it's just less friction. But I will say with the rise of the likes of Steppen and some of the other big projects that, funnily enough, Magic Eden aren't actually benefiting a huge amount from, but it has brought a huge amount of energy to the Solana blockchain. And um, I mean, Solana has its criticisms. I think it does have a really interesting and thriving NFT ecosystem. And undoubtedly, this is good that there is more competition for consumers across the NFT marketplace space. Now, despite the market turmoil, VC tightening, layoffs, everything we've been hearing about over the past couple of weeks, Andreessen Horowitz says, hold my beer. We're launching a $4.5 billion <laughs> Web3 fund. And uh, I actually think it makes a lot of sense. Um, this is their latest crypto fund that they're calling Crypto Fund 4, and it's landing in at $4.5 billion. That actually brings their total raise for crypto and Web3 investments to $7.6 billion. And this latest one, Crypto Fund 4, is actually double the size of the last fund, Crypto Fund 3, which was announced last year, not even a year ago. Which was a big deal. Two billion. Yeah, it was yeah. a really big deal. Because I think they were initially they were saying that was going to be a billion dollar fund, and everyone was like, "Whoa!" And then they like doubled it last minute, and everyone was like, "Holy crap, this is huge!" Now, in like what the 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 darkest times uh, that that we faced in probably the past year, four point five billion dollar fund. Wow, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and of course they were putting this fund together well before the bear market really hit. But they're moving forward, they're moving ahead, and they seem to be pretty positive in their outlook with regards to how they're going to allocate this fund and how they expect it to play out. So it's going to be led by longtime GP Chris Dixon. He's recently become much more active on Twitter, getting into little... I guess you could say arguments here and there with the likes of Jack Dorsey and other folks, maybe putting his foot in his mouth a couple times, depending on what you think. Um, but it makes sense because he's going to be leading this huge fund, which will allocate one and a half billion dollars to seed investments and three billion dollars to venture investments. And the way that they're going to distribute these funds is they're primarily going to be focused on Web3 games, DeFi, DAOs, NFT communities and privacy. So they seem to have a pretty clear focus for, for how they want to allocate the funds. Um, and they're also viewing the market downturn as an opportunity to gain market share, which I think is a common sentiment that we've been seeing around more established, healthy, savvy VCs that have been through 
uh, ups and downs of markets in the past, the likes of Andreessen Horowitz, of course. Um, and Ariana Simpson confirmed this. She's a, a general partner as well. She said the best protocols and companies are actually built during periods of market instability and downturns. Um, so I think it's interesting here. Basically, what I'm taking from this is that Andreessen Horowitz is saying, let's go big. We've got this huge fund that we're going to put toward building sustainable uh companies and technology within the Web3 and crypto ecosystem. And they're probably going to eat up a ton of market share as a result of that. And it, that doesn't come as a total surprise to me because recently they've been facing some competition from crypto native firms like Paradigm and Electric Capital. And they also recently lost their crypto co-lead, Katie Hahn, who went on to launch Hahn Capital and actually took a few people from Andreessen Horowitz with her. Uh, and that's a one and a half billion dollar uh a fund. It's actually two funds put together to, to amount to one and a half billion dollars, but it's huge. So um, yeah, I, I think that if you're in the Web3, DeFi, NFT, DAO space, crypto space, uh, certainly this is positive news and something that um, you're wanting to pay attention to. Yeah, because I think one of the things that <clears throat> I saw some posts as well, this is not necessarily crypto specific, but, you know, extends across this. I saw some posts from uh, uh, Y Combinator and they they were giving some guidance to a lot of the startups and early stage companies that are kind of gearing um, gearing up for the, the, the next 18 months. And they were basically saying, look, if you are looking to raise with a timeline of, six to uh, six to 12 months, you might not make it because funding is going to be incredibly difficult. If you're a early stage company and you're worried about runway, you need to try and raise as quickly as possible because there is not going to be a lot of capital in the market. This could be a real adrenaline shot for, for many great teams building in the Web3 space that uh, could potentially benefit from some of this capital. And because I do think raising in this kind of environment for certainly the next nine months, potentially 18 months can be incredibly difficult. But yeah, good news. Good news overall. Yeah. I, I still imagine it's going to be difficult to raise with Andreessen Horowitz as well, just because the overall market is going to be tightened. But I actually think that this in some ways is a good thing for the technology itself, because when builders can focus on building instead of shifts up and down in a volatile crypto market, in other words, when everything's down and it's just all in the shit anyway, you can kind of step away and say, okay, we're going to focus on building something that's viable and sustainable. And we're, we're going to be focused on the technology itself, as opposed to what the market um, is is doing when it's rallying or falling. So hopefully we get to some point of equilibrium where it's less about the the valuations in the market and more about the technology itself and the partnerships that are being forged with long-term players with a long-term mindset like Andreessen Horowitz. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. All right. Let's uh let's round this out with a a few small stories in our in our final wrap-up section. Fear not, everybody. We have a savior to the crypto space. It is the giant that is GameStop. This is the news <laughs> that back. everyone... They're, <laughs> they're back again. Uh, and, you know, this is the news everyone's been waiting for. They have just announced that they are going to be launching their Ethereum wallet. 
This made me l- laugh out loud when I saw this. It's like, what what the hell is this company? Like they have they have went from being being a meme stock to becoming just a meme in themselves and then just doing the activities ongoing that just further reestablishes themselves as a meme. I, I don't even know what to to say about this. It's going to be built on. I think they signed like this, uh, this deal with loop ring. Um, and there was like a, uh, which is a, which is a blockchain. And it was during the bull market and after the come down of like the whole Wall Street bets pump that they had with the short squeeze. And, uh, you know, it was a weird deal at the time. And a lot of uh, investors really questioned it on the loop ring side because I think GameStop then went on a dump to load of their tokens immediately because, of course, they would. And, uh, yeah, now this is what their play to become a Web3 company. I, yeah, that this is all. There this is. is yeah. This is, I agree, this is totally bizarre. There may also be a Web 2 component of this, though. I I had read that if you look into the privacy policy for this wallet, it is tracking some bizarre user information like IP address, GPS coordinates, uh, (laughs) their network clicks, mouse position, keystroke logging. So I wonder if there's some type of like data mining or data selling play here or something. (laughs) I mean, it's very like bizarre, this this entire situation. Like I, I just I don't even know. I, I honestly I don't have words for it. I, I don't have a good intellectual comment because all I would all I would want from this is to just see a recording of the boardroom discussion as the executives at GameStop <laughs> discuss their plans to go into the Web three space in what is a monumental pivot, uh, to say the least and launch this wallet it just you know it's uh if if the gamestop loop ring partnership was not a top signal i don't know quite possibly if we'd have ever spotted one so so yeah anyway uh into actually important news um and unlike the gamestop announcement that has come this is relating to the announcement that feels like it is never coming um One of the core devs over at Ethereum says that the much-anticipated merge is coming in August with the the proviso that if everything goes to plan, that is. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, no shit, right? So uh, (laughs) if if you haven't been following uh, the merge, this is something we've been waiting for now for, for years and is hopefully going to come this year and hopefully will come in August, which is Ethereum's uh, much anticipated move to proof of stake. Um, Now, back in 2016, the ETH developers uh, implemented a difficulty bomb. Well, they, they basically set so a difficulty bomb would come into force around about, I think, June of this year. Uh, So next month, uh, I think this is set to do. And uh, what a difficulty bomb is, is, Basically, from the moment this actually uh, is activated, the difficulty of mining blocks on the proof of work, the current Ethereum blockchain, would dramatically increase to a point where the the miners will probably be mining at a loss. It will likely, if left, completely freeze the entire uh, blockchain. There was 
a discussion back in April where they were going to push an update to postpone the difficulty bomb. Um, they decided not to do this, um, but would consider postponing if the, the merge timeline increases. But you got to think that there's a fire under their ass right now to either get that difficulty bomb postponed or start to make much quicker progress on the, the merge. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, a huge few months ahead if we actually get to see that happen. And it's it's probably going to be the single biggest event in Ethereum's timeline, at, at least since kind of the DAO hack, um, but almost certainly uh, one of the biggest of crypto overall. So yeah, yeah. stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, really interesting stuff happening there. One last story. We've been talking about Portugal a lot more than I ever expected we would. Portugal. <laughs> yes. We need to Portugal do a live, a live session, live podcast from Portugal. That's what oh, I think. I we would need actually to do. love that. I would love uh, to do that. There's so much, so many people are talking about what's happening in Lisbon right now. Of course, Portugal is like this crypto tax haven, but it's also become a huge destination for nomad workers, remote workers. Um, and I think there's a lot of angst in Lisbon right now. Rents are going up, cars are parked all over the streets. It's not the way it used to be. And it looks like some additional change could potentially be on the horizon for Portugal. Last week, we talked about the move to potentially classify crypto as an investment and thus subject it to capital gains tax. That is still on the table. But for the moment, Parliament in Portugal has said no to a new Bitcoin tax that was proposed, which would have taxed crypto profits in excess of 5,000 euros or roughly $5,300. So that is good, I guess. Uh, But a bunch of additional policies are still on the table. So I think that Portugal's crypto tax haven status is still very much up in the air. Yeah, you got to wonder how long this can go on for before it... it I, I'm just so dubious of just uh, these kind of like huge tax breaks that get given on asset class. People move their whole lives into it. It's almost certainly going to have to be taxed just to support all of the infrastructure and um, services that are the backbone of the entire country. They likely need this taxation cash to help support this massive influx of immigration that's coming into, into the country. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to follow. I'm really keen to see what the impact of like people staying in Portugal versus uh, leaving is and how it impacts the whole kind of uh, crypto emerging crypto scene and emerging tech scene in general over there. Um, but yeah. We'll, uh, well, of course, now we are tied to having a Portugal update uh, in every episode. <laughs> so I hope some new stuff happens. Otherwise, we're going to be really stuck for what to say. That's all we've got time for in this week's episode. We've went through a bunch. We'll keep everyone updated. And hopefully sometime soon, we will stop talking about Terra. Thanks, Austin. It's been a pleasure. And I'll see you next week. Talk to you next week, Matt. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment 
cryptocurrency or otherwise.